0: We'll be right
1: And I'm Hillary. This is our highly professional <laughs> podcast that we definitely get paid for. By uh, This is our main job is this podcast. Mm-hmm, and that's why mm-hmm. we do such a professional job about it. It's not a hobby. We are uh, <laughs> employed by a real organization. We draw mm-hmm. a paycheck from that organization. to mm-hmm. talk exclusively about the works. Yeah. In- <laughs> To an audience of approximately 340 people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is enough to make a living on, for yeah.
0: sure. Yeah, we're paid by we're paid by a company called Marooned on Mars LLC, yeah, uh, which is located, I think, in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and- Hunter Biden is on the board of directors. <laughs> And it's a tax shelter for a Chinese arms manufacturer. <laughs> oh.
1: That's the life. That is the life. The Pebble Mob missile is underwriting. <laughs> is underwriting this podcast.
0: Yeah, exa- exactly. Oh my god.
1: Okay, um, that's an inside joke um, to me and Hillary and one other person. Um, so that person thinking- is George Soros. <laughs> Still waiting on my checks, George. (laughs) Um, Uh. We're on Ministry for the Future. We're talking about this great book, this great novel that um, is getting, uh, that more and more people are talking about every day, every Every week. There's my Google alert every week is longer and longer about book reviews of Ken Stanley Robinson. And he's doing so many great uh, events. Like there was one I was watching that he did at at Yale about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Mm -hmm that is so brilliant. It's on YouTube. Um, there's a, I think there's an interview of him with in Rolling stone. There's an interview of him in the LA review of books. I mean, there's yep. so much actually stuff out there in the media, um, or on the internet, not really in the quote unquote media, um, that it's, it's almost overwhelming to keep be, keep up with all of it. And somehow it's interesting too, because somehow it's like not all repetitive you know you mm. you a lot of like press junkets you're like they say the same thing over and over again but some of the people especially the interviews they they are so smart in the questions that they ask him and he's so s- goddamn smart in the way that he answers them <laughs> yeah that it's always yeah. worthwhile to read them
0: yeah oh for sure i mean and this i mean i think that this is a uh i mean i actually think it's really um it's really quite interesting to be talking about this book now. And probably if we were, you know, going to like look at all that media coverage, like more closely, there'd probably be some things to say about it because, you know, the book, I mean, it is, as I think we've made clear in our conversations, like it definitely is a book that contains multitudes. I mean, in some ways it's like a very, I mean, it's a very focused book, I think. Yeah. Uh, But it also has um, an expansive quality that I think probably, I mean, and I, my sense is that one reason that people are turning to it is because it seems to be um, a source of like, uh, you know, hope maybe of a provocative kind at a moment in which things seem simultaneously hopeless. And also like in a weird way, I mean, given like the depth of the crisis that we're in, which is just getting worse, like, you know, it's also like kind of a moment of dullness too. like I think like a um, uh, of, right. of feeling of feeling static of like nothing's happening, of there's nothing new to say.
1: of waiting for the thing to finally happen. like yeah, yeah, especially because we're in lockdown. it's like what, you know, we're waiting for some big decisive event. We're living in the event but it doesn't feel like it's hard to recognize that you're living in an event when you're living in an event. Yeah. And so there's this big, there's a, there's a moment of, yeah, dullness, expectancy, um, frustration of wanting something that's decisive to happen. Um, and that the book, um, one of the reasons that I think more and more people are turning to it, or a lot of people are turning to it, is that it's so... Um, it's sort of, as you said, it's directed, but it's also capacious. Yeah, It's broad, but it's also um, <clears throat> very focused. Um, and so anybody picking this up can find, you know, not in the characters, because as we've been talking about, there's really only like four characters in the book in a way, like in a traditional novel mm. sense. Um, But you can locate yourself in the book in so many different Ways, or there's so many opportunities for diverse readers to say, "Oh, I get that," or that resonates with me um, because I care about animals, or because I'm interested in the economy, or because uh, I have been to India, or because you know, like all these different like ways in that really expose the the multifaceted and interwoven problems um, that we face to audiences that uh, in, in such a way that they can they can like, you know, imagine themselves into the problem, um, locate themselves in the problem, and then maybe find a place for themselves in like articulating solutions. And like, I think in what we're going to talk about today, starting with chapter eight, 71, and maybe we'll end up in chapter 85, although who knows? But 85, just to skip to the end, is this like incredibly emotional chapter where it's just a list of organizations mm. alphabetically by nation of people who are trying to do good things. I think most of them I haven't looked them up. A lot of them are real, some yeah. of them are probably fictitious. But it's just this overwhelmingly emotional list for me. Like I start reading it I'm just start crying because it shows you how many people are out there organizing and trying to do something and opportunities. Here's just a list. I think when I got done reading that chapter, I, I posted on Facebook, get your teenagers to read this book, because there's just a plethora of ways, if they care about the world, that they can get involved and start trying to um, save it, essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that, like, I, I I think that that's such, it that is a really great um, chapter. And I, I think that that observation that you're making is interesting because like you know um like on the face of it it seems really uh you know weird to say oh it's an it's a it's a list that fills me with emotion <laughs> because of course like that does not that doesn't make any sense that's not what a list is um you know and I, while I guess a list can be a list can be organized like it can be alphabetical um But it also uh, is a weirdly, um, you know, it's not a hierarchical form, it has a kind of like leveling effect. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not descriptive, I mean, it could add into a description, right? But on on its own, a list of things like doesn't offer you a description, it doesn't give you a map, right? It's not representational in in that way. Uh, and yet I agree that that list is extremely moving and it is moving interestingly because it makes you a little bit want to look things up that sound interesting that you might be curious about. Um, uh, but also because I think, I think, uh, you know, if it was like the thing that a, a chapter like that suggested was, oh, you know everybody should just go out and do something and then it'll be fine. You right. know, like we we can just do it or whatever. Uh, like, well, then that wouldn't seem either smart or true. Um, but what it suggests instead of that is like this is something that I think that, you know, we all remember from the Mars trilogy too, which is um, this kind of, uh, this sense of a, proliferation of projects that have a certain kind of unity to them, right? I mean, because since that list proceeds by, um, you know, uh, nations and other quasi-national entities, right, Um, you know, it's a global, it gives us a global picture, not everywhere on the globe is in there, but it gives us like a planetary picture, right? And it gives us a picture of kind of simultaneity, right? Things that are happening everywhere all the time. And you don't know necessarily when you're looking at it what began. I mean, so we're, this sequence of chapters takes us through a number of kind of like flashpoints uh, or like sort of opening up moments in like the war for the Earth, right? Like uh, the war for the planet. Um, and we don't know how many of those projects in that list begin prior to, you know, these year zero moments that we hit in the sequence of the novel, how many of them come out of that, how many of them are post, uh, post the heat wave in India, how many of them are pre the heat wave in India, right, so we just, we begin to see like, um, it's like getting that glimpse of like the extent of, you um, uh, you know, like the masses, right? That, like, this is this here, here it is. This is what it means to think about like, there are people everywhere who are already in the work. Um, and the work is already going on, and it's got to happen in all directions at once. And that's not a vague, like, everything is good, you know, it doesn't matter, just do your one little thing and it's going to be fine. That's that's instead like giving you this, it, that in the end does give you a kind of map, like, or this large scale sense. So to me, it's like that way in which in the Mars books, like, you know, you keep getting you keep thinking you understand the whole story and you know where the struggle is and you know what the revolution is. And then you pull back and you see like this community or this collective that you'd never heard of, we're living in some like fucking crazy way. And you're like, well, that's actually, that sounds amazing. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the utopia of utopias. Right. And, right. and the, this list I think is also a, a ver- yeah. kind of a variant on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's, um and it's also just very inviting too. It's like they're all like, we're from this thing and we're doing this and hello, greetings yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And it's a very,
1: you know, in that way it's very inviting because it also like I, I think also in America too, something about um and, and amongst the intelligentsia or whatever, there's something about everything that's been happening in the last five years that it's like oh, I have to solve this problem. (laughs) Like I have to rewrite my dissertation to solve this problem or whatever. It's like, no, there's like whole groups that are working on it. You could like help out with that group, but it's not your responsibility to save the world. Like you're not uh, Jesus, despite what like (laughs) the movies tell you you are.
0: Yeah, despite Um, your beard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's about your beard, which is, it's been seen, but be- my beard has seen better days, but um, uh, I
0: think you look very nice, Matt.
1: Well, you know, you're, this is a mediated thing. I trimmed it recently <laughs> and I'm just not happy with it. I like, a bit, uh, I like it better bushier. So let's start with the 71, <laughs> which is a meeting's notes. <laughs> yes. A meeting's notes chapter. Uh, Bedeem's Dean's uh, assistant. And at one point I was like, why is Badim's assistant always taking notes for him? Is he gone like assassinating Rex Tillerson again? But no, he's there at the meeting. He just yeah. uh, has his assistant <laughs> taking notes for him. Um, and this is just uh, an update about where everybody is um, in terms of like the ministry's uh, key um, actors. Um, lawsuits for uh, against groups that are doing good things that Tatiana is upset, upset about. Uh, African unity, Africa for Africans, mm-hmm. uh, redefining geoengineering as anything that happens at scale, right? Yeah, um, that that changes the Earth. Um, and then um, a kind of key. The second sort of half of this sort short chapter is a key kind of component, another like link in the chain in one of the many narrative threads through the through the book um of creating the carbon coin and um protecting it against over speculation mm-hmm. and the ravages of capitalism right
0: yeah exactly we get uh uh dick always always ma- always making a joke uh yeah <laughs> comes up with a comes up with a good line on 357 um uh 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 up up carbon taxes progressively, publicized sabotage of petro now happening more and more frequently. This will encourage more sabotage copycat style. In short, arbitrage and sabotage sabotage. Um, which is a funny line, and it's also but it's also funny because it is kind of like I mean, that sort of is the play that we see in the novel too, right? I mean, yeah. between between like the these lines about like, you know, how do, how do you bring Uh, you know, how do you bring, essentially, how do you bring the money system under the sway of the legislative, right? That, that increasingly becomes the sort of direction. Um, If you think that like um, uh, you can't in the, you know, timeline given, get rid of the money system. And in fact, as we get suggested in this chapter, that maybe you don't want to get rid of the money system. Right. Um. You know, if you think that, then like, well, what do you do to sort of like counter its inherent tendencies, right? Or, you know, the inherent tendencies of those who run that money system. We have to bring it under the sway in one way or another of the state or states, right? Or of some kind of international legislation. Um, But at the same time, like also that's not enough, right? I mean, so we have not only the idea that you might organize sabotage or like other extra legal means, but that like, there has to be a certain just like energy, to, there's a certain energy to that, the idea of the copycat, um, that's not going to be directed, you know, like, that's just going to like, open up, because um, people are going to start doing things.
1: Right. Like, ar- yeah, arbitraging the sabotage against the system. Uh, this like this stochastic yeah. sabotage acts, um, in order to Sort of demonstrate the need for new laws that prevent that would like obviate the need to do the sabotage in a way which is kind of right, where we get right. with B- badim meeting with the children of kali in that later chapter like look you've done enough um now it's time for like us to like do some laws that that protect this um he describes it uh, as uh the state and the market struggling like working hand in hand but arm wrestling and we want the state to win because there, that's where the laws get made right and um yeah if you do think that yeah if you do think that that's impossible because of just the way that billionaires control the political system then what would be be the alternative which is the alternative that stan very much wants to avoid which is like the gangst the gangster capitalism or something right like or gangster even gangster law um gangster one way or another would be, uh, bad. Um, so the best, so this is his like, um, investment, if you will, in rule of law as like the only good alternative really.
0: Right. Right. And then we get, I mean, I think, I think there's an interesting, like, um, you know, I think there's an interesting move that you see even in this chapter, because it's like, we get this kind of, you know, this sort of positing of like, uh, you know, like, um, whatever the need to sort of like operate in two different streams simultaneously, or really we might think like, okay, so you have this problem that's about the banks, right? The financial system and the financial system has to be brought to heal um, because it seems like then from there, there's an idea that we can get into like a kind of a post capital, right? Um, if we if we you know get past financialization right which has something to do with like grounding at some point grounding value um in carbon sequestration right that's the kind of the sort of ecoeconomics part of it um so we have this kind of like dynamic between like what do you have to do with the central banks as a feature and what do you have to do with like the state or with legis- with legislation with the law you know um and in some ways, we get more about the law than we do about the state, I think. But yeah. so, so we have that kind of dynamic between those there, right? Um uh and and then between like the though that kind of uh, that kind of attempt to reshape, like let's just say like the system as such, and these like ex, extra systemic actions, right, which are um sabotage, um you know, acts of terrorism, so called, whether sponsored in a kind of like uh, state of exception mode by the minute by Bedeem and the Ministry for the Future, or actually not sponsored at all by the Ministry for the Future and quote unquote spontaneous, right? And we get actually some thinking in this section about what it means to call something spontaneous, too. So that kind of so we get this one sort of like pairing, which is like the law and the banks. Or the money system and then we get a second pairing which is on the one side the law and the money system and on the other side like sabotage or other extra legal means right um but then we end the chapter back on the question we have uh who is talking here uh you know janice uh janice athena talking about the idea that there is there's a new kind of feeling emergent, and Janice Athena calls it a structure of feeling, and um, the, <laughs> they um, and they say, okay, it, Gaia citizenship or what have you, Earth citizen, common member, world citizen, one planet, Mother Earth. Um, all these terms are used by people who are coming to think of themselves as part of a planetary civilization. Main sense of patriotism now directed to the planet itself. Matriotism, uh, dick jokes. Um, and then I like uh, to read
1: that as matriotism, dick jokes
0: <laughs> good old dick jokes uh and uh, <laughs> uh and, and Janice Athena responds uh yeah a new structure of feeling underlying politics global civilization transcending local differences I mean this is kind of interesting given that like as we go on, We get one section where we're sort of told, well, you won't, you can't do away with the nation state, and I kind of, I think that like that perspective is not necessarily like the one perspective of the novel. But anyway, um, and then and then uh, uh, Badim says in sort of response to this, it should be an explicit religion, like I've been saying, a call for devotion or worship, which Mary interrupts and says, "What about AI?" Um, (laughs) Which is a really, I think it's a really interesting that's a really interesting moment. But part of what interests me here is like, you know, um, we we have what looks like these kind of like, um, you know, like sort of like, I mean, I think what we can think of is like these kind of like dialectical relations, arbitrage, right. sabotage, or whatever. Um, and, you know, and here we get like the sort of problem of like, of spirit, right? I mean, the uh, and it comes up in these weird forms, like the way that Janice Athena thinks about it is deeply connected to the way that they think about um, uh, what's going on with the internet, right? And, yeah. Right, and uh, the way that Badim thinks about it is like, come on, religion, let's just call mm-hmm. this a religion. And then Mary's like, oh, what about AI? Which is mm-hmm. cool, but, but there is another sort of, that's another like additional like movement here that's kind of fascinating anyway i i think that that's a like i like how this little like notes section like all of the notes sections feel like they're like blunt and just like tracking something and you're like oh yeah that's a thing we heard about earlier oh that's a thing that we heard about in another chapter or whatever it is um but actually they're these very interesting kind of movements here and once again we get this sense of like there's something that's needed um that is not gonna be fully that, that, that you know, like neither like getting rid of financial, finance capital nor, um you know, like changing the law ca- can produce, right? There's- Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I think one thing that, um there's a lot to pick up on what you're saying. I think that the notes sections are so useful for re sort of like, as like a stock taking moment of like, noting where these all these different threads mm. and like unifying them uh are 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 going and finding a new node in the network of force relations if you will that will <laughs> that that the that the novel is tracking um because pulling on one alters your relationship to the other or whatever so like that the ai that operates your lock is also enabling some kind of shadow government that will provide a potential plan B, which is discussed several chapters later, right. um, that links up with a kind of new structure of feeling, which also is a kind of matriotism, which we might think about as a religion um, that would be separate to the state, separate from the state, but that would influence our relationship to what we think the state is. And of course, once we, re- once we alter what our relationship is to the state, we then alter our our knowledge, our understanding of what the state is supposed to be vis-a-vis capitalism um and or or money itself or or the economy if you uh, you know the economy as a whole whatever that is mm-hmm. um so that there's these like it's this like nodal point it's just it's it, again like thinking about how to even talk about this novel in the way that we're talking about it is so um, inviting as a way of like f- dividing it up into chunks and figuring out where certain things pay off and where certain things get started. You know, like this chunk that we're reading now, I kept finding things in like a chapter. I was like, that reminds me of something that was three chapters ago. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. oh, that was there. And it was also in the chapter after that. And it was chapter after that. And then now it's here sort of being, transmogrified into something else and that somehow it's it's being um, like we talked about this like a few episodes ago with like the concept of flow, right or like the digestive tract of capitalism <laughs> and the digestive tract of like Frank and Mary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I just think yeah, that in that way, like as a literary work of art, it's just so amazing because it like helps us to map, you know, um, these problems.
0: I was just thinking as you were talking I hadn't thought about this before but um like that description that you were giving makes me think of the martians which I think oh yeah you know it was so it was so fun to talk about but also every time we were talking about it I had that feeling of like um uh uh Oh god, wait, are we missing are we missing something because there are like so many little tendrils of connection, you know, and those yeah. those tendrils of connection are both to like oh, we've seen this theme or this person or this idea or concept or whatever in another location or we've seen this like um this place or this setting like through different eyes.
1: Right, or right. Or
0: now we're in like um now we're we're seeing like detail that before we just like skated over or um now we're seeing like a place where the 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 like timeline moves right um and you know the martians obviously like plays with that like the what the what if what if a different thing happened um Mm -hmm. uh in a way that this book doesn't but it does also kind of like i feel like it's full of these moments where it's kind of left it really is left open the like, um, uh, you know, a chapter will end and you don't know what happens next, right? And in some ways that does give you the sense of like opening these kind of proliferating timelines. So it both has this like, um, you know, it both has the like, you know, that 19th century realist like quality. And here I'm like thinking about like, you know big big dickens books <laughs> i'm thinking about bleak house or our mutual friend where it's like uh there are a lot of different stories going on and those stories are going on because they're giving you they're giving you a, the map of a world and what's possible in this world right and both has that quality and yet it also is way more disorienting right because it doesn't give you um because you do have to piece together narrative and mm-hmm. um, and honestly, there are so many ideas in here. Like, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure that there are people who are um, whatever smarter than me who are able to like, probably not find where all of those like narrative pieces go. But, you know, like I, I'm kind of on my second time through now and I am still, I'm still like my post-it notes are particularly insane because I,
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that this book is just such a masterpiece and require, it will require it. It, it deserves a team of experts working on it around the <laughs> clock. I think a lot of big Dickens energy uh, going, just throbbing through this book. <laughs>
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. It's Friday and the quarter just ended and I'm oh. so tired, Matt. By the way, guys, <laughs>
1: it's been like two weeks since we've talked and we're so sorry for uh, this delay, but we're both uh, uh, depressed and overworked. Well, oh. Hillary's overworked. I'm just depressed.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, and Matt burnt his hand. <laughs> yeah,
1: I burnt <laughs> my hand. Okay.
0: And, and my cats have colds.
1: Our cats have colds. It's winter. The quarter's ending you know, just, it's just, you get it, but we're back and thank you for being patient. And now we're going to continue on with the show after this brief commercial. (laughs) Um, chapter 72 is one of these great eyewitness accounts. And this is one of the fabulous ones about the wildlife corridor. Oh my God. Yes. Um, what an amazing thing. And it, it does just seem like, um, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's part of that half earth project, basically, um, that we need to give the the planet back to the animals uh, into a very, in a very um, real and uh, liberal way. um, And, uh, you know, uh, figure out a a way to rewild huge um, sections of, of the, of the earth, which is not that you know it makes the case that it's not that difficult to do because so much of it is already like extremely empty the midwest of the u.s is not as empty as it used to be but um at the same time it uh the people who live there will have to be doing good work to uh fix carbon as we'll see in a later chapter um and repair the soil um um please, but- please. Sorry. (laughs) The cat is attacking uh standing on the keyboard. She just wants attention. And then and and Mm. uh and yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh well I I think that this is, I mean, I'm really interested in the in the half-earth idea. Um and uh the um you know, the way in which the idea of the wildlife corridor um which is like supposedly which is to some extent like a, a restorative move right or it re, it repairs something and it's like you know returning the land um to other creatures um and i w- i am curious and i don't it doesn't say any we don't get anything about this in here um and i haven't read i've read a little bit about um the half earth idea but not enough to know i i wonder like how it um that idea thinks about um, indigenous land because it, it seems to me like you know you might well be thinking that this is a re- i mean, so in some ways this is like a reconfiguration of land away from, um, uh, you know, like a private away from private property, right? It's like returning returning land to a condition of non non ownership. Um, and so in that way, it's like a de-dispossession or it's potentially a de-dispossession. I, you know, so I was just, you know, I'm curious about like where we would put, uh, like how, how this kind of idea might fit with like, um, you know, with land back as like a, you know, core, um, political indigenous claim.
1: It feels very much like, again, like kind of another turn in a dialectic of kind of like, um, there were people living here, and then white people got here, and just speaking of the English of the American example, white people got here and killed all the people who were living here. And, in fact, what happened was the land that the indigenous people were living on, Rewilded so to such a great extent that it actually dropped um, planetary temperatures briefly because the people who were living there had been doing controlled burns and agriculture and things like that, um, and the land rewilded so much that that global temperatures actually actually dropped for for a, for a period of time. Um, so that th- that this doesn't wouldn't want you would not want that to be this this to be that plan or that this plan to be right, to be right. that kind of a rewilding uh because you would want the land taken care of um and and in addition you would want to um uh respect the um traditional sort of boundaries uh, and and land holdings of the indigenous people uh according to the treaties and even pre-treaty uh agreements or pre-treaty habits or whatever. Um, So there'd have to be some kind of like, yeah, um, some kind of agreement or some kind of um, uh, uh, organization where something like that could happen. Like the, the land wouldn't be entirely, I mean, it would be like, I guess it would be mostly rewilded or it would be rewilded to the extent that there would still be people there monitoring it and taking care of it. The kind of Leopoldian tradition of what's good for the land is good for the people um and and at the same time the 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 peoples who who did uh uh lay claim to that land pri- previously prior to like co- colonization um would be at least at the very least remunerated for it in some way if not just it it put back into their hands right, for right hearing
0: right yeah i mean i think that that's a you know it's a um uh yeah, the figure, I mean the figure of rewilding is, is interesting, right? I mean, this is like rebuilding the beaches at the end of Aurora right. because uh, you know, it is and is not a natural space. Um, it seems to me to be pretty clearly though, one that, you know, it's not it's not a park, right? I mean, this is not right. the same as like as the yeah. national parks system. Um um, even though we can see how national parks could get enfolded into wildlife corridors, um, you know, and and would make that uh, would make the construction of those corridors, uh easier. And we see in this chapter how much it is a human endeavor because it in- requires like getting people used to the idea and convincing them that it's worthwhile and convincing people that like bringing back like, um, you know, large predators is not going to like completely fuck up their small, like pig farming operation or, or whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. And they have to like create, um, a crazy cow of all things, cowboys spectacle. So that's of course, part of like, why I was thinking about, um, you know, uh, you know, how does this, how does this work with indigenous land claims? And there, I think I am really thinking like not, not just treaty. I'm thinking like pre-treaty, right. right? Oh yeah, for sure. the The return of the land, um, uh, you know, to the people who w- lived there um, originally, right? Um, I think it's also so. I think that that thing, I, and I did wonder if you had thoughts about the bringing uh, bringing the cowboys in to make a spectacle, um, which yeah. is which is funny because, of course, you know, now that now that the Dream Factory is gone, like you got to do it in other ways. Right. Um, but but the other thing that I think is so so we see in in New York uh, New York 2140, right? There are wildlife corridors and we see them at some point while we're like flying around in the dirigible, I think. Um, uh, but I, I think that this would be really fascinating to read as a lot of this book would be really fascinating to read alongside Aurora Mm
1: -hmm. where,
0: you know, what we get there is the thinking about like when you reduce, uh, Uh, when you miniaturize, when you reduce, when you think that uh, you can comprehend, right, the entirety of the planet or the world, and you can reproduce it on a small scale, right, um, uh, then, then, you know, you, you inevitably run into the metabolic rift, right, you inevitably run into, or, you know, island bio,
1: biogeography,
0: geography. Um, and here, and, and, you know, this is exactly, you know, the idea of that there is this possibility, right. Of moving people around, um, of reshaping this fundamental reshaping of the relationship between, between city and country, which is like an extraordinary, obviously we'll get back to that, like a few chapters down the road, but, um, uh, the the idea of the possibility of rewilding is this,, um, you know, it's like Aurora is in part about like, um, you can't, um, that that is that is like uh, that's a planetary thing, right? That's not a thing that you can and that's part of how life is a planetary thing, that it's possible to like uh, find these ways to produce like large scale large scale restoration which, you know, can't happen in miniature and they can't happen in a closed system. They have to be about like, you know so you're gonna let the animals in and like, you know, who knows what they'll do. I mean, people can like count them and like, you know, keep track of them in various kinds of ways. And you can make the adorable uh, internet of animals. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) But But at the same time, like that is a giving over. It's a giving over of the land to processes that are not uh, you know, whatever that are not like, that aren't human. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about when uh, they're talking about all the animals coming back. I thought I thought back to the previous chapter where one of the committee guys, Camming, is saying that like the is gi- giving a list of rare extinctions and the megafauna, and every time like the charismatic one charismatic megafauna goes extinct, you know that there's like. An uncharic, uncharic charismatic mini fauna, like millions of them that are yeah. going extinct. Yeah. And that's like so sad um, and chilling. Um, but it also um, sort of speaks to the way that, like, the urgency of a project like this, because, you know, the animals that you mm-hmm. know about from books and movies and stuff those are just the surface level ones that you know about and just the dozens or hundreds or thousands or millions of little tiny creatures that yeah. only exist on like live on the back of a buffalo um <laughs> those are like the eyebrow of a fucking <laughs> like wolf or some shit um those are like ne- necessary for the web right for the for the right. biosphere right um
0: exactly. yeah, yeah
1: the cowboys wrangling a herd of wild horses is kind of a perfect, um, you know, solution to the problem of like the media problem that, uh, this, this chapter is also kind of concerned Mm -hmm. with about like, how, how are we going to like head off these like insane right-wing militia groups, um, who are trying to kill us just for like bringing some raccoons back to Montana (laughs) or something. Um, and you love this like inverted Noah's Ark. um, like, uh, uh, scene. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and then the meditation on deers and cars and how dumb they are and who you just have to love them anyway. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that, um, the cowboy thing is really funny because, of the paradox of like how american america's I- imagination of itself has both ev- has evolved and also has always been an imaginary thing like like the cowboy as the quintessential american figure um when and then con- the cowboy's here confronting the people in their giant like Ford F-150s with their like machine guns that they love to shoot so much who are all like essentially like investment bankers. They all make a hundred thousand dollars if they're driving those trucks (laughs) and they're like and they're and they they own all those guns and and that kind of like imagination of masculinity that is so stupid um, for lack of a better word. In America that's wrapped up in these ideas and images and and then practices and realities is is um, fun to think about also depressing to think about.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The um, I mean, and I feel like the the narrator of this section also has such a um, you know, maybe is able to think of the whole like cowboys thing, because in some ways like their attitude toward the people who live in these places is like, these people are, you know, basically like dummies. I mean, these, these upper Midwesterners are the only animals they care about are their dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, did feel like. That's the
1: only charismatic megafauna that matters to (laughs) the chocolate lab. Yeah.
0: Which is, which is funny. Although I think also as somebody from the upper Midwest, unfair.
1: (laughs) You're from Chicago.
0: It's the Upper Midwest.
1: Okay, fine. Is it really that upper? There's like a lot more above uh, north of you.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, for sure there is. <laughs>
1: uh, we love our we love our Midwestern Upper Midwestern uh, neighbors. Um, uh,
0: I yeah, I really I think the Wildlife Quarter is just such a cool idea. And also, by the way, like you know these these animals like. Just like charging around, they're no respecters of national boundaries, right? Right. I mean, we have this different, you know. It's like um, it's like a variant on like thinking about like the commons, right? Except that right. it's not the commons because it's not it's not a it's not like a resource. <laughs> it's not a resource, right? It's not yeah. for people, right? This is like you know, this is like the land for itself, right? And itself yeah. includes all of its relatives, like all of its animals. You know?
1: Yeah, but it also requires a more capacious view of the self of like the human body as well. Like the, you know, the the Amazon is our lungs type right. of thing. Right, like exactly. We, you know, like we have to become a little bit more and and the, you know, the obviousness of it is, of it is right there for anybody who cares to see. We need to think about ourselves more uh, that more than our kind of like, humanness we need to think about our planetariness right right Um, and so
0: again back to like the religion right or yeah like what get what gives you the sense of that you
1: know yeah 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 um what was i gonna say about anyway um next is the mmt and a job guarantee Uh um which employer of last resort and this one really made me think so first of all i'll i'll uh let me uh put uh, two of my, one of my cards on the table is that um, (laughs) the kind of like the interwoven imagery and nodes of things that you discover in this brilliant book. So the end of this of 72 ends with the deer meditation. And then the end of 73 has... Uh, a deer in the headlights of an onrushing car mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as if capitalism were the only possible political economy thus freezing economics as a discipline like a deer in the headlights of an onrushing car and then the end of 74 has frank staring in the eyes of a of a yeah. not a deer but a goat yeah or some kind of ibix weird thingy yeah um pretty a smart
0: chamois
1: <laughs> <A> chamois <laughs> Um, anyway, um, but MMT and a job guarantee, um, really seems really cool and good. Um, the, the top of 366 has the idea of like setting the wage floor, um, government basically taking over the economy. And then at that point, they might, they might as well dispense with money entirely and go to the red plenty solution of computer assisted production of everything needed. In other words, to communism. Why not just admit that and go there? And I'm like, yeah, that seems like a good idea to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, just to say, I, there's a great, or I thought really good essay by um, Jasper Burns that was in South Atlantic quarterly, I think pretty recently earlier this year, whatever year it is that we're in, whatever <laughs> this, <laughs> this ghastly year we're in uh, on uh, 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 central planning and, um, Uh, In which I think he does a really interesting job of talking about. Uh, So I mean, he, he is, you know, he himself is a communist, but of another kind one who uh, doesn't believe in central planning. Uh, and, and, but the reading, I think the reading is really, really interesting of claims about, um, uh, sort of like how, uh, automation and central planning can play together and where those, where those ideas might like fall apart or fail. Just saying that for people who are interested in this, uh, in this point, I felt like I learned a lot from reading that
1: essay as I've learned a lot from reading this book. I had a question about, um, MMT, versus like basically how, how MMT differs from a Marxist critique of capitalism. In other words, like, and what it seems, what I kind of came to the conclusion was like, if Marxism is about controlling the means of production, if that's what it's about, I don't know what it's about. Um, I'm a dumb guy. Um, If it's about who controls the means of production and how that gets administered, MMT is not necessarily about that. It's about money supply and labor supply and the relationship between those two things. Right. Right. And right. and if you come at capitalism from that different lens, you arrive at very different solutions to the problem that that it poses and how to bring about its, its downfall. Right. That, that money supply is like something that is almost infinitely malleable and that labor supply needs to be like guaranteed or um, well guaranteed and also like um, properly remunerated in a way and that they and that like there needs to be um, as much labor being performed as there is money to pay for it and that the money supply is totally um, amenable to or alterable to the amount of labor supply that you've got whereas with marxism it's just like oh well the problem is the people who work in the factories don't own the factories. Right. Well, and, and that kind of like, I mean, that, I mean, obviously there's, <laughs> I think there's more to Marxism than that. Maybe I know that there's, I know there's more than one book about Marxism. There are two books about Marxism. Okay. I think there were three <laughs> volumes of capital though.
0: Are there no, I, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, I've read a bit about MMT and um, at some point I get uh it's not totally clear to me like why or how it's uh I mean I get the, I get I, I think I get the basic point that you were making it's not totally clear to me like how it is really different from a sort of like Keynesian um uh uh economics um and I I do I mean so I mean I think that like yeah so one 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 reading that comes out of Marx is that question about like I mean obviously who owns the means of production matters right? right um uh but some readers of marx would emphasize rather than that as like the big point the big point is like where do, where does value come from right mm-hmm. under capital um and there i think the the claim would sort of be that like um uh the value form in marx like um at, as, as Marx shows in capital, it uh, it requires like something, it requires money, it requires a general equivalent, right? So that like money is not in fact, so if, if just to like, this is like very, very crude, but if at the heart of the way in which value is produced under capital is exploitation, um, that can't actually be remedied like on, on this reading, that couldn't be remedied by just like changing something about how money operates um uh that could only be remedied by um the doing away with the value form altogether right with the social relation that adheres under capital which can't be gotten rid of through like the the more or less redistributive means of like creating a different kind of balance this is under like MMT proposes
1: or like a UBI you couldn't just add a UBI that wouldn't also, that also wouldn't end capitalism. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't eliminate exploitation. The labor would still be being exploited. It would just be being subsidized as it already is by the state.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, and of course there's also the sort of, you know, um, so, I mean, I think that they're like, and then again, I think like, as you were pointing out, MMT is also a different idea from the idea that there has to be collective ownership of the means of production. Right. Which is a, um, uh which is a uh which obviously like is doing is like um can be seen as like a restructuring, right? Similarly it can be seen as a restructuring that some that comes out of the way that things are done now, right? But like ownership is shifted around, right? Mm-hmm. Um so whether those are like um whether then like that is like nationalized or whether that's through like worker uh worker you know councils or whatever. Um but again, that would be different. I think I take it than the way that like um, MMT works, which is all reliant on the idea of central banks that can make right that can make these yeah. kinds of decisions. Um, yeah, it has nothing
1: to do with like who owns the means of production. Really, it just has to right. do with like literally the money, the monetary supply. Right. Um, so. Right. And all. And, and, just, and then and then and then it. It. I mean, job guarantee, like the state as employer of last resort, is a is a key component as well. Right. Right. Um, because then that drives wages up theoretically, um, among the, in the private sector as well, because if you can get a job at, at $25 an hour with the state, um, then there's no way you could ever get a job that you would accept a job for less than that with, with at McDonald's or whatever.
0: Right. Right. I mean, and then, and then we get the kind of like, well, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I, the the mmt thing leaves me with what i know is like a, a dummy kind of question but it's kind of like given that you know as we as we learn in this in this novel right money is a social form um, and it only works um when people trust in that social form or behave as though it were an actual thing you know um and so once you like make it plain that you can just like do whatever you can just print more of it um it's a little bit unclear to me why then um, it is a necessity at all, but you know.
1: It's because (laughs) of Stan's commitment to a kind of stepwise progression rather than a Mm. revolution. Because you have to trick the stupid rich people who are very stupid and very rich because they believe money is a real thing. You have to trick them into like accepting more money (laughs) <laughs> In a way, like like that's the kind of like the carbon coin thing is like we'll give you money to not burn the stuff right like really i like money right well okay i was only gonna burn it because i got money anyway so i guess i'll just take the money <laughs> and then they're so stupid because they think money's a real thing of course it's not it's just a relationship Right. And then,
0: and, but then the other side of that is like the other part of the thought here is like, but also you got to make like money more real, right. Yeah. By having, so by having it pinned to something that, you know, in this case, carbon, right. Yeah. Um,
1: And also uh, blockchain.
0: Well, but the only way that that works is if it is fully, if it's fully transparent, right? right. So therefore like money can't, can't be mistaken for, you know, you can't hide it anywhere. Right. right? Um, And you can't conceal anything inside it, you know? So, so, so in some ways there's a kind of argument in which like it become, I mean, this, this, I do think is like part of that, that eco-economics idea from the Mars books, but like, you know, part of the argument is then it becomes, it's like, it becomes something natural or its val, its source of value is, is like being shifted over to, um, uh, something material. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's, uh, I think that there's a, there's probably, you know, there, there's definitely a kind of leftist critique. It might be paranoiac or not about, well, do we want all of our transactions, you know, tracked by the government and like transparent to everybody? Because if some people, buy illegal things on the black market, which is where a lot of the economy exists, then they're gonna be subject to like state repression. It's like, yeah, but most of the money is controlled by rich people anyway. Like they control almost all of the money. Like the amount of money that actually circulates among like the economy that people use to buy food and even like illegal narcotics is not that much compared to the amount of money that gets, you know, that gets routed through Wall Street um or the Chicago Board of Trade or wherever right. that is just that is completely useless money that's just that that's just uh uh flits around the earth in like digital, you right. know pulses and high frequency trades. So it would be better to track <laughs> it would be worth it to track that stuff if it meant that, you know, we had to legalize all drugs. Right. <laughs>
0: I mean and I think I think the idea the idea here is of like enabling the possibility of a kind of democratic administration of the money system right I mean yeah. and, and hence like um uh so so that we I mean and it does seem like there's a kind of even though we get this sort of like well the nation state is going to remain because that's a necessity um you know we have this kind of like arrow that points toward um you know the withering the withering away yeah. right when we get the idea that like oh but also you could sort of have a people's bank right you begin to have these like kind of not just like the emergence of a planetary consciousness but of these practices that fundamentally could not be contained with are not contained within and can't be contained within the boundaries of the nation and there therefore right you also are seeing emergent one assumes, like not within the scope of this novel, but something that must be emergent, um, is some kind of like democracy, which is the word that gets used here, is some kind of democracy that would be planetary and not national, right? Yeah. Um. And and so I think that that's the kind of you know that's the kind of force force of the idea here is yeah. is toward like um a a defi definancialization, uh, which is also. Uh, a democratization, something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that goes back, yeah, that goes back to like the your luck having a yeah. shadow government kind of built into it. And it's really about the democratization of the state the, and the democratization of, of, the, of the economy and democratization being sort of co-equivalent with like complete transparency about how power works and power being co-equivalent with money. Yeah. And the, yeah. the flow of money.
0: I mean, and then just to just to like, you know, note, like you were saying about the um uh, the deer in the headlights. Right. Then also, like after the stuff about MMT in Chapter 73, uh, Chapter 74 begins with um, Frank uh, reading Defoe and thinking about uh, Robinson Crusoe is funny. Lucky to have been able to ransack the wreck of a ship like that. All that stuff he'd saved gave him a good life. Right. Which is, you know, this like great um, uh, great political economy joke about, yeah. um, you know the idea that the idea that Robinson Crusoe, you know, invents double entry bookkeeping. The right the 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 producer producing on on his own for himself.
1: <laughs> Marx has a great joke about Robinson Crusoe. I mean, like his whole riff in Capital on Mark Robinson Crusoe is really hilarious.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Um, because he is the Robinson Crusoe is the favorite figure of the political economists. Right. He, he shows us that like the way that we do it is just the way that you would do it, even if you were on your own, you would also. <laughs> Parcel out your labor time over the course of the working day.
1: Supernatural, super supernatural. <laughs> the way I do it, um, all the time. Um, I love. Okay, so we. Uh, it's it's hilarious how little we, of the book we've gotten through. i, like I are promising <laughs> to go through eighty. pages. <laughs> we've gone through ten. But um, God, damn it. Something I love about the Frank chapter is where he is um, uh, interacting with like the refugees who are like using, they use English like a hammer to get their meaning across. They banged in nails of meaning. I love that phrase yeah. um, and his like commitment to the Inuit uh, ethic of uh, uh, what um, facing up to Nartsook and just like laughing in the face of, of danger. I feel like I used to be a lot better at that uh, maybe about, nine months ago or something, but yeah. whatever. Um, um, the everything feeling, uh, oh. feels like that new structure of feeling that we're trying to inculcate with a new religion, right? The everything feeling of being comfortable living with that kind of feeling of being, of being crowded on a planet of eight to 10 billion people of having, of, of feeling the pressure on your chest of, you know, starting to be comfortable with that idea i think the everything feeling i think is is something that is is the challenge of the 21st century yeah. probably of just yeah. like having there's another portion or moment in the chunk that we're reading where like everybody knows everything like it, this is this is all very obvious um the things that we need to do and just being comfortable with that knowledge um mm-hmm. is a big is a is a real big um challenge among of the like the discursive uh the discursive battle in a way it's, that that he would talk about
0: yeah yeah i i mean i i love that um that image of uh is uh frank says louise you got to figure out where you're gonna go that's not what he says that's what i'm saying to louise. louise
1: is not a character in the book
0: she is not a character in the book she is a cat and she keeps uh, sneezing into the microphone on my other things, um, which is nice. Uh, uh, yeah, we know more now, he says, uh, those people in the caves, they they only knew there were a few hundred people alive. Now we know better and we feel it. Mary nodded. I suppose it could be 8 billion people all stuffed in here. She tapped her chest. No wonder, no wonder it feels so crowded, all smashed into one big mass, the everything feeling. Um, and Frank, also, if Frank nodded, trying that on, that feeling of pressure in his chest. Um, call it the everything feeling. Um, uh, I think it's a really beautiful... Um, it's a, I, I, To me, that's just like, there's something that's very interesting about that as a, you know, like... Um, How do you describe what the feeling is of being one, like one of a a species, right? You know, one instance, um, one of a, one instance of a kind of thing. Um, And that idea that like the sort of part of the planetary feeling would also be like, um, would be heavy. I mean, it would be kind of a burden to feel everyone there in you um and it also like is a and it part of why it's a hard feeling is because it pushes back against like individual uniqueness too you know to like constantly have an awareness that you are only one of however many billion um uh Like that's a very, that's very different than, you know, like, and that's not, and that's not like a, like Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes, which is kind of like, I'm a big visionary. You know, I like Whitman, that's not to be mean about him, but like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm visionary or something. This is more like, I, you know, I have to, in some way, and I just do in some way, constantly feel the presence, not just of others in some abstract way, but like of everyone else in their
1: numbers, and it it goes perfectly with the kind of seven generations aesthetic, uh, mm, or, or the, mm. not aesthetic, like ethic of mm. seven generations pre- previous, center, seven generations in the future, um, and it's completely counter to the modern structure of feeling, which is all about narcissism and and sheer experience. Um, is it Erfahrung? The is that the German one? There's two German uh, terms of experience, but just like the kind of aesthetic. I can't remember which. If and um, er, er, Erlebnis. Erlebnis. Er There's two of them. And one of them is the bad one. And one of them is the good one. And... <laughs> I know a lot about the Frankfurt School.
0: Um, one was but, bad uh, and one was good. <laughs>
1: yeah. And the bad one is the modern one where it's just like, you're just like dazzled by shiny yeah. objects all the time and looking to uh, hedonistically gratify your um, desires, which capitalism both produces and like fails to satisfy. Um, and here is a completely different feeling about 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 living in the world and being in relation to others. That is that is a weight, but it's a responsibility. It yeah. connects. It connects you. It grounds you again. Like we're talking about, it, it it's a grounding, a grounding force that he kind of like has a, a visceral experience of with the with the ibex in the right. in the Alps. On the right,
0: right, which is a moment that reminds me of. I feel like I have talked about this three hundred times in the course of this podcast but of one of my favorite things in Ursula Le Guin in the dispossessed when um when Shevek is first on um Eurus and you know has no idea what's going on and he's being driven basically from the spaceport um to um the university where they're going to keep him um and uh you know he comes from a planet where there are no large animals other than the humans who have come there. Uh, and he looks out of the window of the car that he's in, and and in the dark, he sees this extraordinary face, which is like described in actually like you know, rather alarming terms. And like, I think as a reader, the first thing you're like is like, oh my god, he sees an alien. Because a funny thing about those books is like, well, nobody's an alien or everybody's an alien, right? Um uh, and he asks what it is and somebody is like, oh, it's a horse. And he's like, oh, a horse. And then somebody else is like, no, no, it's a donkey. <laughs> and, and Shavik thinks to himself, like, it, you know, that actually really doesn't matter to him. What he thinks is that like meeting about meeting the eyes of something, um, of another intelligent creature, another sentient creature, um, when you don't know what it is, it's just the meet it's just the meeting of the eyes. And that mm. I, I think it's this, I'm I'm not conveying it very well because it's a really extraordinary and I think very, like, subtle moment. But he thinks, like, I don't know how to meet the eyes of that. I don't know how to meet that other's eyes. And that, I think, the kind of um, uh, Frank watching the Ibexes or thinking back to, um, oh, what's his name in Blue Mars when he builds his house and the marmots... Nergal, 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 and watching the marmots and like yeah. the, those kind of, um, you know, the moments of cross species connection that um, are like are just transformative for like what it is that you think that you are, you know. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Um. Definitely. <laughs> I'm just thinking about experiences at zoos, like looking into the eyes of a gorilla yeah. or whatever, yeah. and being like, "Oh, you're my cousin." Hi. Yeah,
0: there. Yeah, exactly. There I am. And also, it's so fucking sad you're in a zoo. Um, yeah. Um,
1: uh, so,
0: how much more are we gonna do? How long have we been talking? I've.
1: We've already been talking for like almost an hour and a half. Oh god. Okay. So, I mean, man, the, the next chapter, seventy-five is one of these kind of encyclopedia of the future chapters and it's about the end of neoliberal financial, financial financialization through debt cancellation um the the, the co-coagulating uh, of new nation-state political entities like mm-hmm. Kurdistan um and um, and
0: it all starts with a revolt against student debt
1: yes maybe but, yeah. i mean maybe that would be a good moment to end although this would be our longest Episode on the shortest amount of oh, God. <laughs> um, What's happened? What's happened to us? Well, we haven't spoken in two weeks, and so we've got a lot of catching up to do. And I guess that's um, what it is. Um, it's also just a brilliant book that we can't stop talking about and loving so much, um, and that we are, after all, being professionally paid to do. So let's not forget. <laughs> Don't forget to submit your timesheets. Um, Uh, I mean, I could, Uh, I don't know, I, we, I, you know, I, I have no, I have nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I could just talk about this for, we can make it a four hour long episode or whatever, and and get all caught up, but we don't have to do that. Um, Money is an idea, barter, property. This is like, this chapter 75, like so much actually happens in it. Yeah. um, Because it is this like, major sort of encyclopedia of the future, history of the future chapter type thing. Um, where so much happens around the globe kind of simultaneously. Is this where they compare it to 1848 or is that a later one? Yeah. 1848. Yes. So that it becomes immediately and simultaneously clear to billions of people around the world of the things that need to happen. And that there are already models in place like Kerala um, for instance, and MMT and Mondragon and blockchain that, um, that there are elements out there that just need to be um, scaled up adapted and sort of woven together in ways that can be experimental that they don't have to be perfect but that would be um, massive improvements on the system that we already that that already exists and honestly like it'd be difficult not to improve the system that already exists because it's such a fucking disaster already Um, although some people are doing their best to make it, make things even worse.
0: I mean, I think it's, it is, I think it's important and, um, significant here. I mean, I, I, think it's great that it begins. So this chapter begins with the United States where we just, we were, when we were talking about the wildlife corridors, but as we've talked about before, we're not spending a ton of time in the U S and this is not, the U S is not centered here. Right. Um, uh, but we begin in the U.S. with the national, the National Students Union. Yes, let's get that to happen. Um, that can happen soon,
1: right? Um, uh, if there's anybody who's uh, more or more organized than graduate students, I'd love to know. No, not just graduate <laughs> students. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, no. It seems like a pretty much no brainer for like students and but people with stu- people with student debt. Let's put it that way, to organize themselves and refuse to pay their bill.
0: I mean, and you know, like there. I mean, uh, um, some something that has been happening uh, in this moment that we're in is that, like, there have been students doing tuition strikes, which I think is a really. um, So you know, what's one of the things that's that I think is really interesting here is, um, uh, beginning with the student loan strike, which is also a strike against debt, right? Which is a strike against a particular kind, you know, a particular. uh, which is a strike against like the naturalness of debt and debt also as the anchor of the financial of the financial system um but i think it's also great that like where this kind of like wave this like um you know revolutionary wave um begins is with you know is with students right and with a struggle that um uh is like not taking place in the like um, sphere of like production, right? I mean, this is not a, it's not a work struggle. It's like a, you know, I guess a social reproduction struggle, right? Um, that seems like that's where school and tuition probably lies, you know, and depending on what you think it is that the university makes, I guess, <laughs> I guess degrees. Well, it's about, it's, an t- you know,
1: student debt, The the tyranny of student debt is really an attack on one of the basic rights that's outlined elsewhere in the book, which education is, you know, is a basic right. And so um, holding a gun to like the young people's heads to say like, you either have to take out these massive loans and mortgage your entire future in order to learn the stuff that you are required to learn in order to get the job that you are required to have um, is patently unfair and counter. Uh, productive to production itself right. or reproduction itself, right? It like runs counter to the interests of capital reproducing itself to have people not want to go to college or to be, um, or to be make it impossible for people to go to college or to make it not worth it for people to go to college.
0: Right. Right. Well, and that, you know, one of the things that seems like has been really exposed as, you um, Universities have continued, like having classes and, um, uh, you know, granting degrees and charging vast amounts of tuition and underpaying their workers and indeed, like you know, laying off entire um, branches of their or
1: putting their workers workers to, in, in danger uh, or and of-
0: in endanger and endangering their workers. Right, like one of the things that I think gets you know that has been salutary is that like, well, at some point people start saying like, well, wait a minute, you know, like University of Chicago with your like, like $8.9 billion endowment or some crazy shit like that. Like if that's the endowment, like, why would it be the case that like we're you know we ha- we're under austerity measures right and why would it be the case that you would have to charge the same tuition for students to take zoom classes as you would right so like some these questions open up then about like what is a university you know what's the university for? Like, is the university for maintaining and increasing its endowment? It does kind of seem like maybe that's what the university is for. So then like, what is the place of what students do there, right? Um, is like- um,
1: It's a hedge fund with a writing program attached to it. Yeah,
0: I mean, and and like, you know, so then like, well, if that's true, like the, how are we supposed to think about like what a degree is? Like, how do we think about like the work that students do- how do we think about why it is they pay tuition, right? Like, why do they pay tuition? I mean that, you know, so the the very possibility of being able to ask that question, like, and of being like an undergraduate and like just, you know, um, you know a, a smart person, um, but who probably has thought for a long time that you were gonna go to college and probably really wants to be in college because the rest of the world seems like it sucks, to have it open up to you that like, oh, you've got to ask this question because it's just not obvious that i think is the kind of opening you know that allows people to think about like you know there's not just some like natural principle that says we should be in debt for our education um anyway i i love that this chapter begins yeah begins there right um yeah yeah
1: um yeah and then that begins that doesn't necessarily initiate a cascade of events, but it's one part of a cascade right. of events, right. of a tidal wave of mm-hmm. events. Let's say, like the African Union, basically telling the World Bank to fuck off, um, the Chinese government, um, uh, or the or the the workers in China, like flooding Tiananmen Square and not taking it anymore. We could see the same thing happening in like literally happening in real time in India in right India,
0: now. In India, yeah, four yeah. million
1: people um, uh, on on uh, on strike. Um, and that, like, that becomes this new 1848, this new world spirit zeitgeist in action thing. What, however you want to, you know, history can sort it out, what it was and why things happened when they did, in the order that they did, in the ways that they did. But nevertheless, the chapter concludes with this idea that, um, you know, um, it was quite a year, a year that became <laughs> one of those years that people talk about later. Uh, a tectonic shift in history, an earthquake in the head. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. So like, I mean, back to the thing that you were saying earlier, which was, um, how is it that you can be living in a time that seems to be eventful and yet it doesn't feel like an event at all. Right. And here we, you know, this is one of the many moments where we get like, it's actually much harder to know when something that will later be called an event began. Right. Right. Um, the experience that you have in the event is not necessarily the experience of eventfulness or what you experience as eventful right you know you are like you know however many millions of students out on strike right the strike is eventful um but what becomes historical or produces a change or whatever it may be like um is not that event right um but something else you know that even the idea of like Zeitgeist or like the spirit of the age, right? Um, suggests that there's always something there. There's something like beyond any one of the individual like actions or sets of actions or events, right? There's some other thing that crosses over. The question of like how events like lead to other events, none of that is perceptible like from within uh, the moment itself, which is, you know, kind of what we get to in the brilliant chapter 77 which is one of the riddle chapters, ah, which is pretty
1: cool. About history. I mean, I was going to say too, it's also what you were describing is also a good description of reading the book.
0: Yeah. Itself. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're
1: like, where's this going to go? You know, it is so focused, so directed, so capacious, but it's also, where's it going to go? I mean, it's really the definition of a page turner. At the same time as being like just an incredible like blueprint for like how a, a a good anthropocene, as Stan has been calling it, might unfold. But 77, I noticed you skip over the Navy chapter, which I would like to return to. Maybe we'll do the history chapter and then start with Navy next time. Yeah,
0: we can. I was I was only skipping over it because I felt like we got to um uh just because like 77 like has such a good kind of like um response to what we were just talking
1: about. Yeah. Right. Um Everyone knows me, but no one can tell me. No one knows me even though everyone has heard my name. Everyone talking together makes something that seems like me, but is not me. Everyone doing things in the world makes me. I am blood in the streets, the catastrophe you can never forget. I am the tide turning under the world that no one sees or feels. I happen in the present, but I'm told only in the future. And then they think they speak of the past, but really they are always speaking about the present. I do not exist, and yet I am everything. You know what I am. I am history. Now make me good. So great. It's like the essence of a riddle too, because like the riddle is like the solution is history, but also like, what does that mean? Right, make me exactly. good. Like right, it like right. oh, asks a riddle at the same time that it answers it, like make history good. Like, what does that mean? Right, like- exactly.
0: Yeah, 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 right. You know, men make history, but not under circumstances of their own choosing. So what would it mean to make it good? Tell it better? Get it right? How, what, if, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Yeah, I love I I love that. And it's like such a it's like such a great, like both playful and also um uh uh like really like dramatic punctuation, you know? It's,
1: yeah, like ugh, make me good. Ah, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, but I love that line, I happen in the present, but I'm only told, but I'm told only in the future. And then they think they speak of the past, but really they are always speaking about the present, lo- loops back to the present, right? Yep. And the the distinction, such an important distinction between the past and history. Those are two very different things, the past and history, right? Um, and maintaining that distinction is like is like the operation of ideology. And it's also the operation of like what you'd have to what you what you have to do, like the 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 necessity of periodization, the necessity of historicization right, is to right. make sense of the past, like as this like like big, you know, uncon like this congealed blob, this like uh of stuff <laughs> that happened in the past. That's just the past. That's not history. Like history is a story that you have to tell to make sense of where you are um in the present.
0: Right, which is, you know, an even more like, you know, awesome moment to have in a science in a science fiction novel that's set in the like incredibly near future you know yeah um right right? so like uh okay get done get done louise louise Uh, having a conflict with my cat
1: we should probably wrap up so you can feed the cat
0: oh you think that's what she wants is it oh yeah that is for sure what she wants
1: well my cats (laughs) have to be fed soon too so Um,
0: it's, it's national cat feeding time.
1: (laughs) Everybody set your
0: clocks. (laughs) Set your clocks to cat time nap. Um,
1: (laughs) okay. Well, um, do you want to stop? I think we did great yeah
0: i mean i should feed the cats or i'm gonna have i'm gonna have open it's gonna be open rebellion here if i don't oh my
1: god <laughs> oh my god you gotta you gotta maintain your monopoly on violence look uh,
0: three three cats against one human it is not a fair fight for the human no,
1: They, will, they will eat you. my cat almost successfully tripped me yesterday which i know is her main goal is like for me to trip <laughs> break my neck so she can eat the eyeballs out of my head <laughs> um we'll, we'll pick it up with the navy next time yeah um, flight of luck now with badim um this has been the ministry for the future podcast no it's called marooned on mars marooned on Mars. Podcast. and um you can email us at marooned on mars podcast at gmail.com but don't email us any criticism god damn it um <laughs> this is my hobby and um I'm it's, our it's our joy it's our joy okay. It's the only joy I have, except for uh, baking nowadays. I baked an inverted pie because I only had one pie crust last week, Uh, but it still turned out delicious.
0: What do you mean inverted?
1: I called it an inverted pie because I just put the filling in the thing and then I put the top on it. Oh, interesting. So there's no bottom of it. It's just kind of goop and then like a, a nice pie crust on top, which is tasty.
0: Yeah, that's good. I only
1: had one pie, and I wanted to make an apple pie, a cranberry apple pie, and so this is the compromise that I set myself. Why
0: didn't you put the one crust on the bottom?
1: I was because the recipes all said I'm a new pie baker. Okay, mm. so the recipes all said to that I needed two pie uh, crusts. I needed a top and a bottom, and I didn't want the apples and the cranberries to dry out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In
1: retrospect, I think it would have been fine. And somebody said, well, you can make a crumble or just whip up another pie crust. And I was like, I'm not whipping up another pie crust right now. I need to get, I, I need to make a pie now. I'm not making another fucking pie crust. <laughs> so in retrospect, I think it would have been fine. I don't think it would have dried them out that much at all. I think it would have been delicious. It's still delicious. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's how I burned my hand. But it's a small price to pay for delicious delicious pie.
0: For a pie, small price to pay for a pie. <laughs> uh well, I'm very envious of your pie. That sounds
1: really good. Um well, next time we see each other I'll I'll be sure to make a pie.
0: I expect it. I expect you to burn your hand and make no, a
1: pie. No, <laughs> I'm not going to. It hurts too much.
0: Um, uh everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, to us discuss six pages of an 800 page novel.
1: <laughs> it's so fucking and crazy how hours. little we got through. <laughs> it's very funny. And I still feel like we just were really
0: skimming the surface.
1: We honestly, it's like we could do a a, a whole episode per chapter, but we're not going to. We're not going to. The, we got, that's, We got through 15 pages, no, 20 pages, 25 pages.
0: Well,
1: yeah, well. That's unacceptable. We have to do better. We have to do better. We have to do better. We'll do better. We're also going to be appearing on a podcast as guests, um, the Grad School Vonnegut podcast. That's right. That's right. In the near future. So Where we talked about a whole book. Yeah. In one podcast episode. we didn't host that episode, that, no. that show. No. They, we were we were directed in a in a way that's we much were, more responsible by professionals. We
0: were thankfully guided by professionals,
1: <laughs> not professional. Anyway, whatever. We're gonna stop talking now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> goodbye.
0: Goodbye.